If you have your Bible there with you, turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. We are going to pick up where we left off last week. Such a rich portion of Scripture here giving witness and testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As we pointed out last week, there are that the resurrection itself is a matter of the heart, is your willingness to accept the evidence that's been presented to us in the Gospels of Christ. And of course, the resurrection is the basic tenet of the Christian faith. It's the linchpin of doctrine for our faith. Without the resurrection of the dead, then it's futile. The claims of Christ, the ministry of Christ was all in vain if Christ is not risen from the dead. But Christ is risen from the dead. He's not among the dead, but he is now among the living. And so we see as it is presented so clearly here by Luke that the resurrection from the dead is a matter of the heart. You either believe that it is a reality, that it happened to Jesus, or you don't. There's no middle ground here. There's no, well, maybe he did, or maybe he didn't. No, he either did or he did not. There's that basis of absolutes that, as you read through the scriptures, you can't miss the yes, no, black and white reality. There isn't this whatever I think it, I want it to be attitude at all. It is black and white, so much of it. And that's so infirming because when it's solid like that, when you have firm convictions, we convictions we can build our lives upon what we read. And this is what we're going to reflect upon this morning. We have these five conditions of the heart, two of which we covered last week, and we'll do a little bit of a review just as a refresher. And then it also maybe encourage those who weren't able to hear last week's message. But in verses 1 through 12, we have the experience of the women there at the tomb. In the face of death, the reality that Jesus Christ had been crucified and his body had been laid to rest there in the tomb with a stone covering its entrance. And they're there with a perplexed heart, a heart that uh, is without a way, a situation of life that makes no sense, really know what to do, can't quite figure it out. And then verses 13 through 27, we have a slow heart. Hearts that are continually contemplating, thinking, reasoning, conversing, trying to figure out what life is all about and what, in this case, the evidence that was presented to these two fellas. So, and then the remainder of the chapter, which will be the main focus of what we want to go through this morning, is the remaining three kind types of hearts. We have in verses 28 to 35, the burning heart. The heart of a believer when he learns the truth and receives the truth. And it takes a village experience to do that. Verses 36 through 43, we have the gathering. This is where the assembly of believers and the presence of God is comes in such a way that we're not expecting. We're frightened by God's approach. He He's coming to us in an unfamiliar way, and we're uncomfortable with it. And then the final words there at the end, 44 through 49, an understanding heart. When the truth is received, 
Then comes comprehension. Then comes full understanding of God's plans and His purposes, and thus bringing peace and joy to the believer. But a brief review in regards to the perplexed heart. This is so often times where we live uh, in in our lives, unfortunately. But these ladies had an intended purpose. They desired to finish the work that had was started a couple of days prior to the burial of Christ. But being so close to the beginning of the Sabbath, they were rushed and weren't able to do it sufficiently, at least in the minds of the women. And so they took off that Sunday morning, early before dawn, with good intentions. They were going to about to do something they thought needed to be done. They believed that Jesus' body needed to be put to rest in a proper manner and to be done to the best of their ability, a noble cause indeed. They took their spices, they prepared the means, and they took the time, they put thought, spent their money to put their mission together. They're going to minister to the Lord. You know, in our service for God, things don't always go as we plan. Those who follow Christ, we start out doing what we feel needs to be done. We plan, we prepare, we do what we can with what we have, and only to find out that it's not as we planned it to be. When these women arrive there, there's no guards, <laughs> no stone. And most alarming, there's no body of Jesus. Yeah, things are not as we anticipate often. This is a perplexing situation for them. You know, there's times when we do come to the end of ourselves, and this is not a bad thing. It's just the way life is because of our limited abilities. It looks like they're in a situation that they can't figure out. There's no way out of it. They have no idea. There's no plan or purpose. Now what do we do? There's, where's Jesus, you know? That's what we've come here for. He's not here. So we often face these what do we do now moments in life. Actually, what we should be thinking to ourselves are these are God moments. These are the life moments we long for because these are the times when God reveals himself in previously hidden ways to us, ways that we've never experienced before. As we see here in this part of the chapter that the supernatural is unfolding. Two angels are sent there with a message for them of the incredible news that Jesus is risen from the dead. Now he's alive. The supernatural experiences are few and far between in our lives, but they're part of the lives of those who seek the Lord. This is not something that we should draw back from, or some, but it's something that we should actually anticipate, especially when we're in those times of perplexity, when we don't really know how it could possibly work out. Look for the Lord. He's going to do something special. It should encourage us. And those who serve the Lord and serve the body of Christ experience these wonderful things. 
We experience things in this life that are way beyond the natural. That's the joy of being in service to others. We get to see God at work. I think that's one of the reasons I'm in the ministry. I love to see God work. I'm amazed. I'm blown away. I'm dumbfounded. I'm without words. I am perplexed at times to think, how did you do this for them? What a wonderful experience it is. You see, God knows the way through our wilderness experience, and this is what we should glean from this portion of the chapter, if nothing else. He knows the way. He knows the steps that we need to take when we're facing the unknown. So we then, having experienced that, we can testify. We can share these experiences. Isn't that really what the women were doing? As soon as they saw and realized what was going on and heard this message, immediately ran to tell the disciples that Jesus was no longer dead but alive. And these next two fellas there in verses 13 through 27 as we covered last week, um, you know, we really can appreciate them because we're a lot more like them probably than we realize. God, and we see here that God is at work on several levels uh, beyond our comprehension. He was working with the women. He was working with the guys that were in the room, on the upper room still, or wherever they were hanging out to, to, to be uh, kept from the authorities. And then we have these two guys out and about walking around. So God's at work in all the lives of his people that have experienced this crucifixion. And now they're hearing about this resurrection. They're getting bits and pieces of information. Sort of, you know, paralleling our time. You know, we're getting bits and pieces of this CV-19. You know, how are we going to handle it? And, you know, are we going back to work next week or the following week? Or are we ever going back to work? You know, there's so many conflicting uh, stories and misinformation that, you know, you kind of wonder what's really going on. Like, you know, the numbers don't seem to add up, you know, coming out of some places of authority or would be authority. So, you know, it's a time where we just have to trust God. I mean, is that information, accurate or inaccurate, really change what we can do with our lives? Or does it help us take more control of our lives? It's really not, it's completely out of our control. God has called us to take responsibility over the spheres of our dwelling, places that we can control. So let's not worry about what we can't control. Let's worry about what we can control, and that would be ourselves. Behave ourselves. You know, watch where we're going, watch what we're doing, pay attention to the details, you know, as we've been told. Wash your hands and stay at home as much as possible. <laughs> I don't know if you're a homebody. That's probably not hard to do. But if you're a gadabout, well, then it's an adjustment for you. But just you just have to submit. And so God is at work. You know, he was initially not at the tomb. I mean, they were actually seeking the Lord. They wanted to find him. But he wasn't there. And yet we do know that as... Some of the women took off immediately and went back to tell the apostles what was going on. There was one, according to John's gospel, who sort of lingered behind Mary. And as she lingered behind and she waited in contemplation of uh, what the angels have said and the, the anticipation with her heart, really the perplexity of her own state of being, Jesus comes to her. 
Mary, you know, just telling us her name. And I want to say that, you know, sort of as we, before we leave that point again, just if you're at that point, you just, you're still trying to figure it out. You just don't know how it could possibly work out in your life. Just linger a little bit longer and God will show up. Jesus will come. He'll speak your name. He'll speak comfort to you. Your perplexity will dissolve into worship and joy in the reality that Jesus is alive and well and that he cares about you. But these other two fellows on the road to Emmaus are still trying to make sense of these reports. And these men uh, were not really aware of their great need for God's presence. They were totally unaware of the depth of their need for sure. They were wrapped up in this intense discussion. They were doing some forensic investigation, so to speak, with the facts that were reported to them by others. They simply were just trying to figure out what happened at the tomb. These women had testified, you know, about this angelic message and this visitor that Jesus was alive and risen. And that one of them had actually spoke to Jesus directly. I mean, Jesus had spoken to one of the women directly. And so, like the Lord and his ability to be wherever he wants to be, (laughs) he joins these two faithful servants. And he just asks them a simple question. What kind of conversation are you guys having? Why are you so sad? Why are... Why why the angst, you know? I think this is vintage material here. He asked the question and they gave him the answers. <laughs> Isn't that the way it is with the Lord? You know, we uh, he asked the questions and we give God the answers like like we have the answers, you know. <laughs> no, it's not like that at all. It's 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 something that makes up natural human thought patterns and the way we are, the way we're sort of constructed. We, he knows, the Lord knows, we need to work through the issues in our life. That we have to reason and sort of arrive at a conclusion about something so that we can let it alone. And that's really what these fellows were doing. They were trying to come to a, a conclusion of what had happened so they could live with it and it would be settled. And sometimes vocalizing our thoughts help us. The idea of getting things off our chest is actually very therapeutic. You know, talk through, when you talk through something, you actually verbalize it. It sounds a lot different outside than it does on the inner thought. You realize sometimes just how crazy some of those thoughts are when you begin to verbalize them. And so he's just letting them, as it were, exhale some of these inner thoughts to him, things that he knew better than they. And just remember that point of truth. God always knows the situation, all the facts about everything better than we'll ever know. And it's best to just leave it right there. We should understand that it's a gift of his grace that we receive counsel from wise listeners. Because Jesus is listening. And at the end of their little 
conversation with him, he's going to sort of reprove them. And we have to look at those reproofs, those rebuttals that we get as a gift of grace. Those rebukes, those reproofs will point us back to the basics of our faith. You know, when it comes to understanding certain things, it's important we always return to know what we know is true in the times when we face uncertainty. When there's so many things that we don't know and don't understand, we always need to go back to what we know is true. And that's the basis of our faith. You know, I believe if we're willing to face uh, our convictions, our expectations, let's say, and our perspective, and maybe allow them to be challenged, that maybe we're, our expectations are not what they should be. Our perspective need to be adjusted. I think when we come to that point, it's when we can experience change. And that's really what needed to happen. All their talking and all their intense speech with one another was not going to really change their perspectives. They had this perspective about Messiah that was clouding their view. They expected Jesus as Messiah to come rule and reign. And now he's been crucified. And now this resurrection of the dead. How does this all fit together? It was just too much to untangle for them within their minds. But again, the Lord in verse 25 there just said, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things to enter his glory? That was the perspective that they were missing. That was the expectation that they did not have within their sphere of understanding that Messiah had to first suffer and die to provide atonement, to provide and satisfy as it were the justice of God always go back to the scriptures and so Jesus gave them a Bible study right on the road Moses and the prophets all the things concerning Messiah, concerning himself that slow heart See, you'll never quite get it. You'll always be stuck in that place of just trying to figure it out. But then, as you take the next step, they reach their destiny. Now, this is important because we're all in journey. We're all uh, headed somewhere. But the road is not the destination. It's not about the journey. It's about the destination. Now, people can get caught up in the journey. Oh, you know, how wonderful it is. But where are you going? This is an important part of life. What we need is real intimacy with Jesus. In verses 28 through 35, this real intimacy with Jesus. If we're willing to take those steps and invite him in, we'll experience the burning heart. Because we're learning the truth. Truth will always set our hearts ablaze in the love of God. We need, and we all need, this village experience, as it were. They had made their way to this village, and Jesus had, was acting as though he would go on. And they, as it says here, 
constrained him. Verse 29, abide with us, for it is towards evening and the day is far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. And so this is an interesting word. They, the idea of him, they employed some emotional force. It, it come from within that they really intensely desired this stranger that they did not recognize to come in with them and to spend time with them because they were enjoying the conversation. The co- this guy, for some reason, really knew the scriptures <laughs> and they thought they might be able to glean some more from him, apparently. And so one of the things I don't uh, want you to miss here is the humility of God. There's none more humble than our God. Not for one minute or second, for that matter, did Jesus assume that they would want him to come in to their abode. He was making as though he would continue on to go his way. And that's the way God is. God is very unassuming. And so he left the choice with them. But you notice there, when they asked Jesus to come in, he didn't hesitate. Doesn't that tell you something about God? He doesn't hesitate when you ask him to come near. When you ask him to... uh, questions or that you want to fellowship with him. I mean, I thank God for the promises that he's left us, especially during this time of which we live. You know, where only two or three, you know, are gathered in my name, I'm there. I'm there in the midst. And this is a great promise for us. And so without hesitation, Jesus was right there. He actually wanted, I believe, to continue this conversation with them. And so they sat down as they prepared the meal, and as he had a special way, I believe, of taking the bread, blessing it, breaking it, and giving it to them. And this is an indication that God always gives us what we need. You know, and it's kind of once our needs are met in that closeness, sometimes it just seems to disappear, doesn't it? You know, I think this is God's way of deepening our faith in him. It's it's how he handles the fallen heart. You know, when our world's turned upside down and when we're perplexed and we find that there's no way out, we feel like we're stuck, when our expectations are completely shattered, he comes to assist us, to work with us, help us to make it through and understand the issues of life and that he's with us because he knows what we're facing. We're reproved for our unbelief. We're reminded we've already been told uh, of the things that we should know. But in these trying times, we're exhorted by the Lord to seek Him. It's in understanding and desiring Him that we really begin to understand our life, our situations. Notice, too, that our eyesight here, our ability to see, you know, on the physical level, it's a tremendous gift. You know, we have empathy for and sympathy and as it were for those who are blind by birth and for those who are blind it's a hard thing to try to describe things but they experience life in a total different way than those of us who have physical eyesight and the same is true with spiritual eyesight that's a tremendous gift from god spiritual eyesight is 
something that only God can give us. It comes through faith. You know, people outside the kingdom, people outside of faith, people who, who are not habitually walking with God don't understand these things. You know, where is God? If I can't see him with my physical eye, then he probably doesn't exist. If I can't see the unseen realm, then it probably doesn't exist. Well, there's a lot of things in life that we can't see with our physical sense, or sense with our physical senses. And we, we, see, we don't see the wind. You don't see the air you breathe, but we know it's there. We see the effects. We see the leaves skirting across the ground and flying through the air. We, we know that there's some, something that comes in and out of our lungs. So we don't see it physically, but we sense the effects. And that's what Jesus told us. We can't tell where the wind comes and where it goes. Where does it come from? Where does it go? I don't know, but God knows. But the eyes of those who trust God are open to the reality of God's humble nature and the way, the way he works. Yet the proud, by their pride, proceed throughout life without seeing the truth of God's blessing. They don't see God's mercy upon the human race. It's when we desire God. It's when we really want God. Not just simply what he can provide for us or how he can bless us. It is just coming to the point in our lives where we simply just want him. When we realize that simply Jesus, Jesus is what I, all I need. He's all I want. God comes to us in a very unrestrained manner and shows us himself. Until uh, we come to that point, there's a veil. Our eyes will be constrained. We won't recognize God. We won't be able to see things as we ought to. So this whole idea of Jesus disappearing there at the end of the scene, what does that say to us? You ask me, what would that mean? Well, I'm glad you ask. It tells us that you and I are required to walk by faith. That's the way we grow. Blessed is those who have not seen yet believe. This is the point. There's a real blessing in that. To just simply take God at what he has said. The joy and the peace that follow are incredible. So this breaking of the bread, this giving of the bread... It's really another object lesson for us in reality. We understand uh, we do this for communion and we do it in remembrance of him and that's all part of it. But beyond that, we should realize first and foremost that God has blessed each one of us. We're blessed. God has given us all something very special and in many ways. But, But we need to be broken down. We've been given so much, we don't know how to handle what we've been given. And the only way that we can be used of God is to be broken down. He blesses us, but then he breaks us, that he might be able to give us in service to the needs of others. This is the way it works in the kingdom. So much of what we want to have happen in our lives has to come about through brokenness. 
if we refuse to yield, if we refuse to, as it were, because we're slow of heart, to give up our perspective or our our expectations, then this breaking process isn't, and it's not complete, then God can't really use us. We can't really be able ministers to others. It's learning the ways of the kingdom. It's being other-centered. So important. But the result, as we say here, you know, as Jesus speaks to us, verse 32, a very, really powerful scripture. And listen to what they said. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? When you have an encounter with God, when the scriptures are opened up to you and you begin to comprehend them, the zeal, the love, the fervor that grows in your heart for God and for things of God is unmeasurable. I mean, Jeremiah, you know, he took a severe beating, as it were, severe punishment from all the persecution of those who really hated him because he was telling them the truth. And he decided, you know what, I, I'm done. <laughs> I just, I can't take this anymore. This is, this is just too much. You got the wrong guy, Lord. And verse chapter 20, verse 9, he said, Then I said, I'm not going to mention him, nor will I speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing. I could not stay. You know, we may suffer. We may go through things that are difficult. The breaking process is very hard. But it it takes a bent eye and a broken me for God to really use. And, And we can't just take what we have learned and hide it. We can't just sit on it. We can't just wait for it to happen. It does something within our soul like nothing else. And you notice what these two guys, they weren't about to just, hey, let's go take a nap. After having an encounter like this with God, (laughs) no way. I mean, it was dark by that time. They get up and they go to Jerusalem, however far they were away, and they're going to tell the apostles, the disciples that are there meeting together in that room, who they encountered on the way. And how they were transformed. And how the scripture became clear to them. And how they had this incredible fervor and love growing within their heart. They now had a more comprehensive view of God's purpose. And this is what breaking does. This is what going through all of these experiences of life do to us. They're transforming. Coupled with the word of God, it it brings about an incredible understanding of what God wants and requires of our lives. They understood that Jesus needed to die. Messiah had to die to provide atonement. God's justice had to be provided for. So they're there gathering with the other disciples when all of a sudden in verses 44 through 49. Oh, actually, verses 36 uh, through 43. I'm getting ahead of myself here a little bit. Jesus 
stands in their midst and says to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified, in verse 37, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands, my feet. That is I myself handle me and see if for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? <laughs> and then he, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb and he took the, it and ate in their presence. You know, you, you would think the the testimony of these other two fellows who had just come in to their company and explained to them uh, what they had experienced would have done something for them. You know, that these guys had a true encounter with Jesus would have made an impression upon them. They would have said, well, okay, great, you know. But now Jesus shows up in a way that they'd never experienced him before. The unfamiliar frightened them. You know, this is, again, an, there are times in our experience, our walk with God, God shows himself in a way that we're not familiar with and we're insecure about. Is this really the Lord? I begin to question, you know, is God really in this? Am I just making this up? Is this, you know, what is this? And we question we don't see that it's the Lord because it's, it's different and we're troubled by it. And so as gentle and kind as the Lord is, he feels compelled to identify himself. Now look, fellas, here's my hands, here's my feet. You're used to touching me. I'm, I'm just in a different form, but I'm, I may be in a different form unfamiliar to you, but I have the same heart. It is I. And in John's gospel, he does something really special. Knowing that they're troubled, he breathes on them. Boy, what a thing to have God do to us. Breathe on us. (sighs) Receive the Holy Spirit. You know, I know it was time after that, you know, just just to sort of solidify the moment, <clears throat> has his his casual approach. Hey, um, <clears throat> you guys got anything to eat? I sort of left that other place a little quick, and I didn't get to eat with the guys on the road from Emmaus. Do you mind? Can we have? You got anything to eat? You know, nothing breaks people down. I've found over time and experience that nothing breaks people down than to have a meal with them. You know, one of the things I enjoy, and I miss it tremendously, is uh, hearing and seeing the conversations that go on in the back here after our services. We sit and we have a little snack together, share our lives. But there's something about eating together, and com- in that communion that we have with one another, that we sort of let down our hair, so to speak, and we just be ourselves. And this is what... It- It's all about in the kingdom, just loving and accepting one another for who we are and the gift we are to one another. And so it it sort of got the disciples' eyes off themselves and their fear, like, oh, okay, wow. Oh, yeah, okay, this is the Lord. We're okay now, (laughs) you know. But they were a bit disheveled at, at, at the outset. But God got them on the right path just through 
just through eating together. You, you see, a troubled heart needs helping. And it's the presence of Christ that really calms the storm within all of us. It's the presence of God that passes all human understanding. They didn't need to understand how he actually rose from the dead. Now they understood that he did arise from the dead and everything is going to be okay. Then after they're relieved, they're at peace. It's time for the apostles themselves. They've heard the witness from the women. They've heard the witness from these two men on the road to Emmaus. Peter actually had an encounter with the Lord according to John's excuse me, according to John's gospel. But now as a group, they're there in the gathering. It's time for them to have their understanding opened. And the only way that we can really comprehend and is to receive the truth. To accept what has been written. So it was time for a Bible study. There are those who think that we really don't need to be studying the Bible that much. And they're sort of bored with it. Well, I think you can go to boring Bible studies. But I think that's a tragedy. That's a terrible sin to bore people with the Scriptures. One begins to study the Scriptures. You begin to see the marvel of how God used 40 men over a 1,500-year period to bring about one book in a cohesive manner. It's incredible, the truth that is there, the witness. We actually find that the author is really not those men, but God who inspired them to write what needed to be written. For the Bible was not written to us, but it was written for us, that we might glean the truth about God's nature and character and His love his plans and purposes. What's more important than God's plans and purposes? There are none. We need to study the scriptures. Jesus took them through what he had already told them. Now he actually takes them through the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning Messiah. Again, these first two guys, the road Cleopas, one of them, and the other fell on the road to Emmaus, got a second Bible study. Now there's two Bible studies that I definitely would have loved to have been in attendance to. To have the Lord himself take us through the scriptures and show where he must live, perform an earthly ministry, die, and then raise from the dead. Incredible truths that set these guys free. It says he, verse 45, as we come to the the close here, he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And what we can glean from this is this is so important. Faith is not an intellectual issue. Some of the most brilliant minds that exist have zero faith. It's not knowledge that's critical to life. It's wisdom. And the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You can have a lot of knowledge. You can be very, very intelligent. And you have the ability to grasp a lot of information. But if you don't have wisdom, it doesn't really amount to much. And yet, those who we consider maybe not as intellectual, they lack the intelligentsia, the mental prowess, as it were, to grasp you know, 
difficult things, and yet they have simple faith and trust, is because they employ their heart, their inner man. They believe what God says. And it's when we believe and we receive that God opens our understanding. It's our faith, you see, is a matter of the heart. It's not an issue of pure knowledge, of gathering factual information. It's about trusting a God who has revealed himself in the pages of Scripture. And no doubt, as we have read and referred to the Gospel of John, where Jesus breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit, it is God's Spirit within us that gives us the ability to comprehend, to open our understanding the Scriptures. Paul made this pretty clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So comprehending the scriptures is truly an issue of the heart. Willing to accept what they reveal. Willing to drop our expectations of what we think God should do or not do. Willing to have our perspectives adjusted so that we can accept what we're reading as God's plan and God's purpose. You see, this understanding heart needs feeding. It needs the scriptures. We need the bread of life. The scriptures tell us that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Because God's word is life. It produces life within us. You know, I would encourage you this week, take time. Since you're called to keep your hands clean and behave yourself and stay at home, then pick up your Bible. Begin to read it. Ask the Holy Spirit as you pick up the Word. Ask Him to open your eyes, open your heart, that you might comprehend what you're reading. Begin to study the Scriptures, and you'll find in a short period of time that your heart will start to burn You'll have a burning flame and a zeal for God that you've never had before. It has a way of starving your doubts and feeding your faith like nothing else can. So that's my encouragement to you this week. Get in the Bible. Study the Word. And when you're not preoccupied with planting your garden and doing some of those honey-to-do list things, Call your brothers and sisters, find out how they're doing, and you know maybe go visit them. Wear your, if you feel you need to, wear your mask. <laughs> do what you can do, but don't just isolate yourself. This is, the, this is the dangerous thing about what we're going through. We have a natural tendency, and this is, well, I think, the encouraged by the enemy, is to isolate ourselves. Nobody knows what I'm doing. Nobody cares what I'm doing. 
And I don't want them to care, and I don't want them to know. You know, so that can be an attitude that we develop. But people need help. People need encouragement. We're social creatures, and we need one another. So my encouragement would be uh, to, to seek out someone this week. Just pick out a brother or sister that you haven't spoken with for a while. Somebody you miss. Somebody that you used to maybe being with and sharing your heart with. Call them up. Talk to them. Encourage one another. God bless you. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what what it's been left here over all these centuries, Lord, since the reality of this historical moment. And you left this this word. Words of encouragement. Words that reveal who we are and what our need is. We're just grateful, Lord, that we can come to the scriptures with an open mind and an open heart and just absolutely walk away so blessed, so transformed and so changed. We're giving you permission, Lord, to offend us, to reprove us, to rebuke us, to just do whatever is necessary to bring us about to maturity, to help us to grow in our faith. It's so important that we just simply trust you. You're a person that can be trusted, Lord. And we just ask that you'd be with each and every member of our fellowship here. Bless your family, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.